I'm Dr. Montero, and uh, last week I gave you guys a lecture on, on stewardship. And I was anticipating this lecture, this lecture is going to be two or three weeks later, so I have a couple of slides that are rehashing some of that stuff. My actual topic supposedly was in my microbial overview, which there's no way you could do that now or else. So I decided to get rid of the viruses. You got antivirus later on. Get rid of the fungi. You'll see a lot of you'll see the antifungals a lot moffing than everywhere else. Antiparasitics. Think about the antibiotics. And even that, give me a little bit too much. So what I ended up doing is um, the first half of the lecture is going to be stuff that you all should know. Overview stuff. The last half is going to be talking about more resistant grand positive, resistant grand negative agents. Some stuff that you'll see sometimes not on formulary, sometimes restricted. An agent that you need to know because those are the ones that are becoming our last last set ditch agents that are available for some of these very resistant organisms. So to get started, basically objectives to discuss class of antibiotics, spectrum, a little bit about adverse reactions. Like I, said, I can't I can't get to fungi, viruses, parasites. That's for uh, other other times. You guys who saw this last week should recognize what we do in ID. We try to figure out what the problem is up front. All right. So we try to predict the pathogen. And like I said, our social history should be the best social history in that, in that chart. Because a lot of it's looking at what the, the host, the patient has that puts them at risk, whether, you know, where the location of the problem is. What kind of risk factors does the patient have? Are they cirrhotic? Are they immune compromised? Otherwise? They have surgery recently that puts them at risk. Travel history, either geographic or chronology, time of year issues that we look at as well. And you need to know your microbiology. Again, the Montero equation, as I call it. All right? All right? Um, it's not a really equation, it's a proportionality. So I hate when I see broad spectrum antibiotics. Now, I do recognize that we do need them. So we all know that those people who have high risk of complications, cirrhotics, bone marrow transplant patients, people who are severely immune suppressed, need some bad intra-abdominal surgeries or whatnot, we're going to take it, we're going to be a little more careful with, and we're going to have to probably increase the spectrum of activity empirically. That's an empiric coverage up front. What I do try to do is this part, because I think that's what everybody else has a poor job of. It's a certainty of diagnosis. That's our job when we get consulted. Figuring out how certain we are diagnosis. When I when we did Margarita, that was a fellow. We had to do differential diagnosis. We had, you know, we had the syndromic diagnosis that the technologist talked to you about. <laughs> then we had DDS and we had arrows. Arrows to all the possibilities. And that's how that's how our consults were. They were all paper at that time and whatnot. And the reason was is to figure out. How certain are we? How many of those arrows do we have? And which is the most common? You know, we do that when we do our case case reviews, and that you guys are going to start presenting in a, in a month or two. This is the other thing. This is not a one-time thing. Every time you evaluate that patient, every day, you got to look at this equation and say, okay, do I need all this spectrum? Do I need more? There's a more uncertainty now because something else happened, or are we honing in because we have either more micro data, more clinical data? More other subject or more other objective data to help us. 
put this in because I, I'm a big out guy. Not for anything else, as we all know that anybody that has a big lactate allergy, they get, in my opinion, inferior antibiotics. There's so many different, there's so many different drugs of choice that are beta lactam, even penicillin based. And changing that alters ability to treat appropriately and have potential adverse effects or uh, diminished, um, diminished ability to treat these infections. 10% report allergy to penicillin. By 85%, probably more, they don't even have an IgE mediated react, uh, allergy history. There's some other. Adverse effect they attributed to a penicillin. After what period of time do you think you, you read this? You know, if I got exposed, I'm 55 right now. Let's say at five years old, I got a moxicillin, got a rash. It had moxicillin when I was five years old. Um, <laughs> and I never got a penicillin since then. What if I needed, I had something I needed, I'd eat penicillin? Could I take it at 50 years later? Problem. After about 10 years, the ability uh, that, that reaction probably has disappeared. However, we don't want to touch it because you can resensitize that individual later on. So, most allergies listed in medical do not have a documented reaction. We talked about this last week. Who does the allergy assessments? Nurses actually document. That's not an allergy assessment, that's an allergy list. That's what we see in an allergy list. He as ID provider should do an allergy assessment, at least not on everybody, not on ACE inhibitors or whatever they are, <laughs> but on all microbes, who should know? And I, like I said last week, there are many people who just don't know how to tell you what the reaction is because they don't know. Mama told me. Mama's not around anymore. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we go so unknown. Mama told her. I'll, I'll, I wrote that down before. <laughs> so you have that. But we've had many people get. Zosin, who are penicillin allergies, had no problem. We should also document that as well in our allergy assessment so that in the future, you know they've taken a penicillin-based antibiotic and tolerated it fine. You'll see that a lot done by my ID PharmDs at TGH. We should also do that as well. We also know our flora, our normal flora. This is our normal community-acquired flora. You know, it changes as, as soon as you get in the hospital. Our lungs, or initially, maybe have some strep, some other agents. Do most if you have basically a CF or you've been in the hospital long enough. You know that. But this is important for us to figure out what spectrum of activity we need to target, where pathogens are in our syndromic diagnosis, depending on is it intradominal, <laughs> oral, pulmonary, etc. I'm not going to talk about MSC except for one, one slide. MIC stands for the minimal inhibitor concentration. And I've, over the years, medical students specifically, oh, the lower the better. That was the case when we, we never used Sceptra. Have you ever seen some of the boxes? They're always double digits. It is meant to look at a specific um, um, to, uh, uh, concentration of virus in that, in that petri dish, so to speak, or in that tech tube or whatever that mechanism is. It's us to figure out whether it is the right issue involved in the right location. For example, septra. What's a you know what's a, 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 a is it can it be used in CNS? The answer is yeah. 
Listeria meningitis, it's, it's the alternative for penicillin. Um, Filcardia can be used, CNNS. That, that double digit doesn't really matter. You got to realize what that means. So MSC, for example, a one cipro treated E. coli does not mean that cipro is twice as effective as ceftriaxone. It means that in that same tissue concentration, in that scenario, we need to know that. There's only a certain ones of these that you guys need to know is ID. Staphylococcus, vancomycin, you need to know those breakpoints. Some of the gram negatives, you need to get an idea. Over time, after you see more of them, you need to get an idea. They change. They recently changed the interbacteriaceae breakpoint for some, some, of, some, uh, some of the gram negatives. So CSI, UCAS in Europe, they're, they're, they're bodies that look at breakpoints and figure out we've seen too many failures with the breakpoint of this. So, and they, so they adjust those, and they do that. Over the last decade, they probably had three or four or five different breakpoint adjustments because of what they've noticed that, 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 that there's been a uh, probably inaccurate assessment of what we would consider susceptible or resistant. But again, what may be resistant in a CNS infection, in the same breakpoint number in the urine, may mean nothing because some of these urine concentrations in the body will overcome that. You just listened to a lecture by Canela about host and how they got defend, host defenses of work against. I'm looking at from the from the organism standpoint. So most of our antimicrobials target, most of them target either cellular function, protein synthesis, or cell wall. Basically, the cell cycle of the, of the organism. You got your cell wall synthesis, all your beta lactans, vancomycin, daphromycin. Uh, you have your uh, metabolism, your uh, trimethamine, supplementoxazole. You got a protein synthesis, you know, aminoglycosides come to mycin. A lot of tetracyclines are in there as well. But over our time that we've actually figured out the cell cycle, we actually been able to target various aspects of, of the pathogens' replicated ability to figure out targets to attack. Oh, these pathogens have been around for many, many millions of years. These little drugs have only been around for less than 100 years. So we got the upper hand for a decade or two. But they're not going to sit around and do nothing. They're going to get resistance. You know, they're going to fight back. So the empire does fight back. The empire being <laughs> the, the, the pathogen. So this is just an example of a gram-negative and with some of the potential resistance patterns, you have porins that help bring the antibiotics in. Well, you have lots of that. And, and in this case, with the carapanos, have resistance to any tendum. You can have beta lactamases in, in the lipid bilayer area. That's why a lot of the action occurs with these. They inactivate. So all your beta lactams that you really wanted to get, and all that penicillin really worked in the 1940s and 50s. Poof. Gone. So they had they developed some beta lactamases, and we try to counter that by using the beta lactamases inhibitors. There's always this war going on. We have efflux pumps. So now there's there's a bacteria they just pumping out drugs. Says screw this, countermeasures. Let's get them out. Let's get them out. Let's get them out. 
you have antibiotic, antibiotic modifying agents. So you have, you know, amino glycosides work in that manner. You can actually uh, uh, change the drug enough that it doesn't work. With quinolones, you can actually affect the, uh, the target mutations in certain areas of the drug. And then a lot of them work, I guess, or with ribosomes and the protein synthesis, you can affect as well. These are just some. Many of these organisms, you know, have a very prolific. I developed a resistance, Staph aureus, Nasteria over the years. You've gone through agent after agent after agent and got more and more and more resistance. Others, less so. We got syphilis is still pretty sensitive to penicillin, although you need higher doses, the pidine and counts. Oh, and agents quickly. And I say quickly because we're actually running a little bit behind schedule. Yeah, lactam. So why agents work against inhibiting transpeptidases on the penicillin binding proteins. So cell wall synthesis agents. Concept, time-dependent killing, all right? Remember that MSC I talked about, the minimum inhibitory concentration? That means the drug, each, each dose, even the trough levels have to be above that MIC. That's time-dependent killing. So any of these cell wall activations, like all the lactam, pretty much above that, all right? Special activity is affected by these agents, by these issues. How, how well they have the affinity to target those penicillin binding proteins? How well they're able to get in there in the porins? So that's why some penicillins work better than others in certain agents. How stable they are to, you know, to avoid being cleaved by those beta lactamates. So, you know, these guys, the sons, knock them off quickly. Cephalosporins dependent on a little bit less, and carpenters a little bit less, but they have ability. We have carpenter bases now that uh, that can uh, can be cleaved. Over time, let's start combining agents. These are old agents. I do remember when there was piperacin alone. <laughs> you do too. You're the only one. Other one, I think, in this room, Mister. That that knows that. And we used to use piperacin a lot. It was great to the mono agent. And then we realized, oh, yeah. well, I got the pseudomonas covered, stuff covered. I don't see a lot of gram negative that wasn't really doing, doing that well. So we added tesobactam. So when you add the tesobactam to pet person, what does it do? It doesn't enhance your zosin, or it doesn't enhance your pseudomonal activity. It actually enhances your anaerobic activity, other gram negative activity, and actually it doesn't enhance a little bit staphylococcal activity to a certain degree. And we, they stopped making pepper something 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I forgot now, but we used to use that up front alone. We still have ampicillin alone. Same thing occurs. It's the pseudomonas, pretty much the same. Streptococcus, ampicillin agrees. Some gram negative, not pseudomonas, obviously. Obviously, anaerobic, and again, stop on top of coverage. So we've been able to enhance those just by adding the beta lactamase inhibitor combination to. In nature we have. We're doing that now. I'll talk to you later in this lecture about all the combinations we have now. I hate the concept of uh, generations of syphilis I was taught this way. I'm not sure they're still teaching it this way, but it's, you know, first generation, second generation, third, fourth. Since that we're going to use here and here, we forget about our second generation folks anymore. We don't use them that much anymore. 
But uh, obviously, high staff, best staff, until you get down to fourth generation. And fifth, the Caroline, get down. Except for me, has reasonable MSSA coverage, but Septazidine does not, right? You improve your gram negative coverage in general and Shunamos. Let's talk about that fifth generation Cytosporin, Septaroline. I don't really like calling this fifth generation Cytosporin. To me, it's basically for suffering plus Danko. Um, and that's really the coverage of it. Uh, it simply gets gram positive agents. Doesn't have pseudomonium coverage, but it has pretty much rosipin plus vanco coverage. And while it's FDA label, it's our cap, it's our tissue. You guys have used septerling? Yeah. Have you used it for cap? Uh, <laughs> or skin soft tissue? No. Where have you used it? Endocarditis. For MRSA coverage. For its MRSA coverage, usually in combination potentially, or solo as you failed another therapy. So you'll see a, a common theme here, FDA labels, and what we'll really use the drug for. All right? All right, so we restricted, our magic is restricted to the VA. Where is it? Uh, isn't, uh isn't really restricted at the VA. All right, we restricted the TGH. Um, I'm not sure what, uh, what the VA, or what um, profit does. It might be a pyramid issue. All right. So that's the fifth generation. So example where we put cephalosporin, obviously surgical prophylaxis, and with caplex enhancer, cellulitis where they be strep and staph, sensitive strep and staph. Second generation, we still use a little bit. I mean, when I was a resident, this was my go-to for COPD flares and uh, early pneumonias. That's gone a long, long, long time ago, except for rocks. <laughs> so often, not used so much for PID, or it's probably used more for mycobacterial Diseases, that's yeah. kind of scary to think about. So those second generations are kind of a lost generation in the second foreign class. Uh, our workforce, especially for our hospitalists, cetraxone for lung and urine, um, and actually meningitis as well. And then our nosocomial drugs, the drugs that are the ICU, what I call them, cefepime. Before that, Fortas, septazidine used to be used a lot. Um, that's not used much anymore because you either have one or the other, and the testing has zero gram positive coverage. Well, at least you have that with with uh, uh, So obviously, a common drug we use in the ICU, common drug for cephalopenia and dosocomial pneumonia. Like I said, even though we certainly that's the indication, we use it for MRSA. Yes. Your dumb question. I love dumb questions. I can answer those. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like you said, when you have patients in the ICU, they usually do vanco cephapime. Why not just vanco septaz? Because the vanco is going to cover everything that this cephapime would have given the septaz. Actually, there's a good question. There's a couple of reasons for it. One has to do with um, septaz being a little bit more of an amputee. Uh, uh, Inducer. Another is that uh, you usually have one or the other on formulary, and by far and away, cefepime is a much much better drug cover your nosocomial pathogen. And I'm anti-vanco person. I like to get rid of the vanco period. So those are three, those three reasons I would do that. But it's not unreasonable. We've done that in the past. In fact, that's what we used to do a little bit. It's just uh, cefepime to me. It's a 
bitter drug all the way around. The only time I use cefepazidine, these are doing the dose in dialysis, because your dose lasts the whole dialysis period if you're an end-stage renal patient. And other than that, I actually don't use it for any other reason. When they develop like bad rash and stuff, it's more developmental philosophy. Then we switch them to some type of Okay, so it's very frequent you would do that. Yeah, I think it's a bad rap when it comes to the brain. It really gets a bad rap. I disagree with that. Bad rap. It, it does occur, I've seen it, but it's overcalled. All right, car comes stuff I'd like to avoid if possible. Yeah, four of them. Peripendum, and erdependum. All right, so the three up here, you usually have one formulary. We have two because we like imipenum to be there for other reasons. Believe it or not, TGH used to be a Doripenum hospital 13 <laughs> years ago. Actually, 10 to 15 years ago, it was a Doripenum hospital. So we switched to meropenum cost and actually similar efficacy. These are pretty similar in general. So either Doripenum hospital or meropenum hospital. All right, very broad. Use them basically situations where you have increased resistance, especially ESP, ASPL producing organisms. Excellent coverage in anaerobes. We also have excellent coverage in anaerobes in those beta, beta lactamase drugs, the unisins of the world, the zosins of the world. Marginal intercouple activity. Question for you guys. If I needed if I needed carbon and I needed intercouple activity, which of these three drugs has the best one? Intercouple coverage. Imipenum? Sure. He's right. Send me penum. So I actually would actually, if I had a, a situation where I needed a car penum and I need the intercouple coverage, I may actually use any penum. All right. Or the penum is sort of all by itself agent here. But today, it, for years, it needed a place in, in therapy um, because it basically didn't have pseudomonas uh, or acinetobacter coverage. But there's a concept of OPAT, outpatient antibiotic therapy. It is the golden child of OPAT. That went subtraction. We actually use a little bit, and this is we're the only facility in the area that I know we use it for, for colorectal surgical prophylaxis because there's a study that showed its effectiveness in that. Many other areas do it. They use ANCEF and Flagyl, which I think I would like to do, but I'm not going to be able to change that that culture that's existed here. All right, so. Good anaerobic coverage, everybody. Also, the coverage, all ESBL coverage, and any pen that has a special relationship with potential usage and microbacterial diseases. All right. These drugs that I just talked about, they all have the adverse reactions. I'm not going to go through each one specific because that's not the goal of all. But realize. Electric reactions occur, drug fevers occur, beta lactams. They take time. They don't occur the first day or two. They occur later on. Itchiness, rash, rash. Why? Well, I, I just said that penicillin allergies are overcalled. They do exist. All right, they do they definitely exist. And, and they're very commonly seen in beta lactam therapy. Maybe typically six, eight days in therapy. Not day one, not day two, unless you've already been sensitized. GI disease. Yeah, symptoms can be seen on a few of these. Just know that they, uh, you have a sort of a sludge effect with, with subtraxone, little biliary lithiasis that can occur. Not seen commonly, in my opinion, but it's always been taught that way. You have increased 
liver uh, seized with good lactose in general. I have a patient this week in the hospital where I've been on Zosin alone. She has LT elevations. I, I swear, I've never seen a Zosin. But I had to switch yesterday off Zosin to some other agent because the possibility of LT elevations from Zosin, she's already been on therapy two and a half weeks, and she needs it for a bone infection. I think it could have occurred. But it's not common. CNS issues. Several things about CNS issues. Number one, carpenters and CNS. You have the decrease in seizure threshold with carpenters in general. Which one's the worst? Which, which was most seizurogenic? Same drug. Uh, uh, you said it, but same drug you said. Maybe penem. So, when we imipenem was our workhorse carapenem before meropenem came around, because it was a time before meropenem and dorypenem, <laughs> it was just imipenem. The problem we would see is, especially in our LE people, we, we underestimated or actually overestimated GFR, overdose, essentially given too high of a dose, seizures, 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 seizures. The other thing is, carapenems interact with valproic acid. If they're already on valproic acid, you give them carbon, you're basically taking 88% of that drug away. And they're going to have a seizure for that reason alone as well. <laughs> so that's why you have to be very careful with usage of carbon, especially in people who've had seizures before. Now, will you use them? Yes, you can. I mean, it's all the risks and benefits. You just got to realize those, those issues. And I didn't mention it here, but I had mentioned it earlier. Subtracts, cephapine and this cephalopathy. Yes, it does occur again in higher doses. I think. I think we overestimated some. Of, again, we overestimate some of the uh, the uh, GFR that they really truly have in their clearance. And imagine you, you guys talk about it more in Moffitt. Yeah. Well, you got older individuals there already. To grand they're already, getting, they're already getting their kidneys altered for one reason or another. They're on a high dose. Yeah. They're on a high dose two Q eight or something like that. Q8. You can either reduce the dose with people just switch it. But it's very reversible, and it probably is dose dependent to a certain degree. All right, so if you really were stuck in that, with that agent, I would actually try to reduce the dose. You're probably giving too much. And actually, there's always going to be a, one of those toxic therapeutic uh, issues where you're going to hit that in certain individuals. One thing we didn't talk about, mild back I don't know where to put it. So I have to put it here. <laughs> it's a, a, a monobacterium, gram negatively, basically only used when you have a true penicillin you're worried about. You need gram negative and you don't want to use equivalent aminoclocoxide. You want to use something that's somewhat acting. It does have generally pseudomonal activity, although there's resistance to it as well. You'll see plenty of, if you look at an antibiogram, which I should have brought for you guys, I'm sorry. Um, you'll see plenty of uh, resistance that does occur. It has very poor activity against acetobacter stenotrophomonas. Actually, it's no activity there. And it has zero gram positive, zero anaerobic coverage. There's certain agents like that, zero. Septazine is another one that's zero gram positive, zero anaerobic coverage, right? But it's safe in these individuals. So that's where you use it. And in fact, that's why we're in, in TGH, we try to use it only in those, in those, those areas, nowhere else, but one which we'll talk about. Proquinolone, this, this is an interesting evolution of Proquinolone use. Back in the, God, it's been that long. It's probably late 80s or early 90s, first ones came out. The surgeons used it for staff, for their post-surgical stuff. Oh, 
He said, hey, they, they had some coverage then. We love that very quickly. <laughs> love that very quickly. Second of that, second of that, awesome. Awesome. Right. So it does have a little bit of a certain one. He overestimated that by a long shot early on. But we're using more programmatic coverage and atypicals. Again, plastic boxes from the newer agents, we can actually have some mycobacterium activity, a little bit of anaerobic activity with like moxie blocks. Again, different, different than beta lactam than, than uh, penicillin, where you have to be time over the end stage. Concentration dependent. So the higher you are over the MIC, the more effectiveness. All right? That's for this and amino glycosides do that as well. These are generally well tolerated, but they've got a, a really bad rap for the last five to seven years. So it's amazing how it's absolute. Because we were 10 years ago, I was trying to figure out a way to stop people from using quinolone. Why? Because so easy to give oral thoughts. Oh, I can just give a clone and your home patient. Yeah. Yeah, turn those go home. Hey, let's call it in. So <laughs> big deal. See this? Weird as heck. And then he started getting a hodgepodge of things happening with the <laughs> You know, we already knew that they have a little bit of GI that some of them do, but they're really they're a little tolerated in general. Well, if you, you can have a little bit of serious effects, but generally, if you don't overdose them, they're okay. If you're not on the at the same time, you're doing okay. You can't get a rash. You can't get photosensitivity. There's a few drugs you have to worry about photosensitivity. Quinolones, sulfonamides, and tetracyclines. Those are the three I, I actually always tell my patients about, right? Then, I know John Green does not like this part. I don't either. Prolongation QT issues, all of a sudden that became an issue. It wasn't an issue 10 or 15 years ago when we were giving it to all our nursing home patients. It became an issue five to eight years ago for some reason. I've yet to see a problem, a complication that I saw due to this clinically. I'm not sure if you guys have. But boy, is it in the front of everybody's mind for whatever reason. <laughs> liver issues in some of these issues, in some patients. You can get some kidney issues occasionally. These are becoming a bigger issue as well. The musculoskeletal issues. Achilles heel ruptures. Tendonitis. I've had people actually. I've seen people who, who were getting pain there, and I said, "Ooh, you gotta stop because it, it could get worse." There's a rupture could have occurred, and now she wonder how long it happened on here. What's the latest one? Yeah, the AOK. Is it really called aneurysm? Does it really have a house rupture? <laughs> they're, they're thinking it does. I actually don't know how they figured that out. <laughs> but it's amazing. Every hospital, all of a sudden, the quality has gone down. Without working on it, because I was trying to work on it, I couldn't get it down. But five years ago, all of a sudden, by itself, it started. It started to improve. <laughs> it is amazing. I was working so hard ten years ago for it, and biting my head against things. I can't get people to stop using or reduce their usage. And just a couple of box warnings. That's how it took. <laughs> and it's improving. I think they're great drugs. I think they're great drugs that easily abused. We saw that history in quinolones. And now I think it's more appropriate. But as I said the last time in my last week's lecture, half of all antibiotics are inappropriately prescribed. There's still room, in my opinion. Acrylides, they work on it. They're back here, static. Three in general, although two that actually one that we really use 
used to we know we're using an outpatient more. Um, common uses for you guys who are HIV clinics, MAC prophylaxis is probably the most common use you'll have. Um, but you have, you know, respiratory illnesses, people have bit, uh, bit like them allergies and you might want to use in there. Um, uh, lung infections, for example, it's part of our atypical coverage and cap it occasionally if you want to use it there. But probably the most used drug still out there in the outpatient world. <laughs> It's a ZPAC. <laughs> it's a marketing genius. We did that. Uh, you got a pack. You get a nice fuzzy name to it. Yeah. It's, it works great for viruses. Uh, because I think the viruses get better on their own anyway. <laughs> and it's important because it does have you know, a lot of side effects of a Mac project. GI. It gives a lot of people belly aches too. All right. They always talk about the immunomodulatory effects of it too. Yes. So actually both. Potentially, doxycycline and semacrine potentially have immunomodulatory effects. But uh, there's a lot of other things you can use to do to modify the immune system. And, and, and but I occasionally, right, we, we have used it for in, in that setting as well. Aminoglycosides, I told you guys where they're used for, what areas of the body? Two areas. Blood and urine. Just think of the aminoglycid blood in urine. There's a few bit of exceptions, but blood in urine, all right? Doesn't get into your lungs very well. Doesn't get into your tissue very well. Doesn't get into bone at all. But I get to see it unless you squirt it in the refrigerator to get there either. Um, but the exceptions are something like bioterrorism, tularemia. Yeah, you, you start to mice and that, those are the exceptions. It's very rare. So just, but you think of aminoglycosides, urine, blood, excellent agent there. Pretty much everywhere else. Um, so there's always been a, a, a uh, notion that Tober is much better student than jet. Look at your antibiogram. All the same. So I don't care. We had a Tober shortage, actually. We had a jet shortage recently. We had a substitute Tobra. It goes vice versa. We could do the same thing. This is turning out to be a little bit gram positive, but the reality is the spectrum is not that different. She knows too. Spectrum is the different in case. It's a slightly different mechanism to add a uh, resistive pattern. And for some of the more resistant agents, acetyl factors that are not the chromium, some of your gram negatives that you're starting to go, oh crap, what can I use? You start using amicacin. And where else do you use amicacin? Mycobacterium diseases again. All right. So again, you know, crappy tissue drugs, but, but there's use elsewhere sometimes. So just like quinolone, it's area under the curve. So the higher the concentration, the more effective. But you get to a point, you get toxic. All right. You also have what's called a post-antibiotic effect. So you get under over the MIC, area of the curve. I actually, go this way for you guys. And then you're underneath the MIC for a few hours, maybe six hours. You have a, what's called a post-antibiotic effect. Even though you're under the minimum inhibitory concentration, you still have work that's working from that and from that aminoglycoside, and thus. We have the different dosing strategies. We have ODA, once daily administration dose, instead of the three times a day or two times a day. And that's where you get your pharmacist to figure out how to do that. But generally, normal renal function, meaning someone who's less than 50, they have to create less than one or something like that. You can actually get, you know, five milligrams or seven milligrams, kilogram dose. 
and realize that's going to work for the day. You give that to an 80 year old, that's going to work for the week, and maybe her kitty won't look after you. So you got to be careful. <laughs> right? So that's why I say that. I'm not as familiar. I haven't used it as much, but do, do, it, does any of this kind of change for inhaled tobermycin? So inhaled tobermycin, this much gets in the systemic area. So, so it may not, it's usually not measurable, although they're having reports out there of measurability. So I say this much because I've seen reports. <laughs> um, so the whole issue of localized therapy, whether the inhaled, the surgeons coordinate in their surgical field and whatnot. Mm. It's all localized, realizing that they have some effect there. Mm. The other place we've done it is we talked about being uh, ventriculized with a business of gram negative, where you lost your cephalosporins or your carpenum or you need extra help. We have actually given local therapy in, in that area as well. And that it kind of overcomes the, the lack of ability to achieve levels of people apply you say give them those levels won't be achievable yeah uh, without doing that without doing that okay and you won't get the toxic effects to the kidneys that way because yeah. it's not very little it's absorbed exactly right is the is the one daily dosing still still effective when you inhale it or does that change the well so if you, you're saying if i give toba nevs and toba id well no 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 if you it just just in general do you reach a concentration that is efficacious for, for a day's worth with a dose of inhaling, or do you have to dose more frequently than you would if you had an infection that was responsive to an I, to an IV formulation, for instance? All right, so I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, like, I, you, isn't it a TGH from Tober and It's like PID. Like, okay. Like, so, yes, you do, and it's not that necessary as much. It is some therapy to it, but it's very poor. There's, there's questionable data on that. You got to be able to get it in. Exactly. You still got to be able to have mobilization yeah. of, the, of, the, of the lungs. Yeah. Our cystic fibrosis patients, for example, go from month to month, alternating with cholesterol and, and yeah. cobra. All right. Okay. They're doing that to beat down the gunk they have. You right. see, their, their whole environment's different. Right. Instead of having a nice, thin um, alveoli with, with excretions, they got gunk stuck in there. Yeah. And with colonized bacteria, that sometimes causes them infection. So they're trying just to beat down the, the number of, uh, of colonies of bacteria they have in there, wow. realizing that they're not going to ever eradicate it completely. Gotcha. So inhaling the microbes, that's an interesting topic. Uh, something that, uh, actually, my ID farm, Kristen uh, Zeidler, actually gave a lecture on. She would probably be the one that actually give you better data on it, but she's looked up the data. But it's not prime time for therapy, unless you're really stuck. Right. We've all done it when we had nothing we could use. To try to beat down, but realizing that one agent is effective. What happens with HIV? You give one agent, it's effective. You get resistance over time. You want to get resistance over time. It just takes longer. Thank God. <laughs> we all know about the adverse effects of aminoglycosides. Epitaxicity is reversible until it's too late. Until it's too late. <laughs> um, early on, it's reversible. So that's why you monitor it. If you start seeing something, yeah, yeah, it's probably altered. Therapy. Oil toxicity, unfortunately, not so much reversible. That includes both auditory huh? or vestibular. Oh, both. <laughs> become a real issue. Both. It's scary. It's sad. I've seen patients who have had endocarditis with mycobacterium, amicacin, 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 amicacin. They can't stand up and walk. Not because of, that's because of the balance issue. 
awful and they can't hear you. That's permanent. So yeah, that's scary drugs. You don't see them used often. And, and when we use it, we generally don't use it for long. Uh, you don't go about clay, you'll get steroids, you get this weakness. You also get some with the with, with, uh, with the male black side. Again, we don't see this often because they're not used often, but it can occur. I see the gravis, we know to avoid male black sides, we avoid quinones as well. We did it, I had a poster accepted, uh, I say, with the, my, my ASP group, looking at, oops, the accents. We've had like, uh, like 10 or so accidents, or maybe a dozen accidents that were given either being like a criminal. What you just did it fine? But there's always a concern about triggering grabs. Um, so I don't know how how much it takes. I don't want to know. But I just don't know. But I know usually one or two doses, nothing happens, at least in our experience. Because we've had accidents that The concern is pushing them into a crisis. It's, it's supposed to be triggering a crisis, supposedly. I've not seen it, but that's really the concern. The Rocky has their smart note, their, their yeah. smart face. Oh, All of them, I think, they had a smart face. It's about this thing long. And then there's about uh, antibiotics and what not to use. Banco, we all know about Banco. <laughs> it is the second most highest used antibiotic in the hospital. What's number one? Actually, actually, ANSEC because of surgery. Oh, sorry, All right. <laughs> All right. But actually, in comparison to three seasons, either fipercillin or Zosin, excuse me, or uh, <laughs> or stuff of things. But that's usually the same area. Second action, the dialing cross linking, so cell wall acting. All right. All great positives, except for five, four or five. I'll let John Green pimp you on that. He likes doing that. Uh, which agents do not, which grandfathers do not cover, are not treated with bank. And the only anaerobic that I really worry about is C-Def when it's used. But it does have grandfathers anaerobic coverage. So, this is also closer to that, to above the MIC all the time. However, there's better data now of an efficacy of vancomycin with area in the curve over the MIC. Are you guys still seeing vancomycin trough phase still at the VA? Uh, no, we're, we've used the new uh, AUC dosing. All right. How about Moffitt? All right. So we started at TGH. We just started three or four months ago, I think it was. Three months ago, I think it had been. So first of all, something we didn't do 20 years ago. Which is, we didn't load these patients. You need to load these patients. You need to get the tank up to get the level corrected. So. Usually it's about 20 milligrams per kilogram dose initially. This is where you're becoming older and hot trough. So the AUC or MIC dosing, the data is actually only in MRSA infections. Usually not necessarily in cellulitis, which may or may, may be sensitive, or surgery relaxes, or SBP if it happens to be enterococcus or whatnot. So at TTGH, we'll use it, we'll do it in most scenarios where there's a stable renal function, um, and it's not necessarily neonate. I think pregnancy is another one I think we take out of the picture. Um, we'll dose regularly for like dialysis patients because there's a different mode of, uh, of, of dosing for dialysis patients. We don't use AUC dosing. But there's been much more emphasis now, and actually, 
most recent get back guidelines suggest that uh, by IDSA suggests that this is the way you should do it, at least for MRSA infections. Does that give you does that require tend to require higher doses or lower doses than our traditional cough base? In general, lower, believe it or not. In general, we're probably overdosing most of our patients before. All right. So um, if you look at the notes to Tampa General, they haven't been standardized yet, but my goal is to have a, a predicted trough in there because when they leave and they go to the infusion center, they're not going to be doing AUC over MIC dose. They're going to be trough-based again because they're in an outpatient world. So I want to have that information in there so that people understand that's the trough you want to target. And that gives you approximately AUC or MIC in this, pup, in this patient. It's all based by algorithm and, and, and um, a lot of math that, uh, that someone does. The, the pharmacists will do They plug it in as well to give you a predicted AUC or MSC. So for most infections, you want to predict the AUC and MSC around 400 to 500. More serious infections, maybe up to 600. You, once you get below that, start worrying about efficacy. But, uh, so that's the change in vancomycin. I'll let the pharmacists later on tell you a little bit more about that. We all know about adverse reactions with vancomycin. Nephrotoxicity, bad rap. Does it occur? Yes, it can. You give it up, you need a trough of, I've seen troughs of over 60 in this hospital over time. It's mistakes being made. You can get nephrotoxicity. And if you combine it with drugs that give you nephrotoxicity, you can get nephrotoxicity. So vancomycin and aminoclaxide, vancomycin gen for, for, let's say, enterococcal endocarditis. Yeah, you can get nephrotoxicity with that. It's generally, but it's really overcalled to otherwise, all right? Uh, you still have to monitor because it does occur. Red man syndrome, we've all seen it. Have it. Has anybody not seen red man syndrome? Where in a hospital do you think it occurs most frequently? Where in the hospital? Where in the hospital do you think it occurs most frequently? I've seen it in the woods. All right. Infusion center. You guys don't go there very often. The ER. Why? Why? The rate of infusion. So, do you see? You know the guys in the consults in the ER. Do you see a lot of those pumps with the numbers on there? Yeah. They don't. They don't. They're not there that much. This is the nurse going. Oh, a few drops here. Oh man, I gotta get this guy upstairs. <laughs> it's turned red. I don't know what that drug more. That's why it happens in the ER. <laughs> I mean, that's why you see it. And that's and I go, oh, why did ER kill me again? Because now they go, I got convinced this gentleman to start taking this medication again because they screwed it up for me. It's not so often that it just drives my head in the circle. That's where it happens more commonly, at least in Tampa General. Uh, and I suspect in most places where they have the entrance, they have to get the person moving quickly. It's weight dependent. So, Generally, a one gram dose of, or one or one to 25 gram dose is given over an hour. A higher, uh, maybe a two gram dose, maybe in the, an hour and a half at least. Some people still get a reaction, a histamine-related reaction to it. And then you could do two things. Well, number one, two hours, two and a half hours if need be, and you can pre-medicate Benadryl. It's a, it's a histamine-related histamine reaction that you have to manage, all right? Um, Gotta understand, there's true vancomycin allergies out there. You can get dress. I've seen dress with, and that you don't recharge. I and mean, I think there's a 
one of those pseudo bulbs where you get the blistering effects. That's truly a, a vancomycin reaction. Those are true vancomycin reactions that are not IT, not IT mediated. That's it. So those are true allergies, true avoidance. The majority you see with rashes are this. You got to listen to the history again. The way I listen is this. I ask them, how long did the reaction last? Vancomycin is in your system 12 hours at least. And you've seen, you all seen enough rashes that those rashes last for a while. This lasts less than an hour. If it's gone in an hour, this is probably a red band syndrome. If it stayed there long enough because you still have vancomycin in your system, it's probably a real, real deal problem. If you're not sure, avoid it, obviously. All right. So, just so that this may be due to you, tingling and doing splashy in the face. Also, so, oh, well, I'm not going to have that stuff again. How many times have I had anything in that? We just slide last time. I don't want to go over it again. Remember what meant where drugs get into. And if that's the line here, obviously, it'll only be checked here and checked here. Uh, these pluses are you need higher doses, obviously, for CNS infections. All right. So the shockers are not on here as well. I think that would put them at skin. Long CMS, not so much. And then CNS with the plus. They're not great urine drugs. They're not great blood drugs. All right. All right. Second part of the lecture. Oh my God. Um, we'll talk about the resistant gram positive and resistant gram negatives. Um, we'll talk about a few of these. These are agents that some of you guys know about. Some of us have given these in the past. They won't give again if possible. Um, and your agents that you guys may not give much during this during your fellowship, but you need to know a little bit about them. The lactoglycopeptides. These are what I call, actually, what my real kids are called. Make my on steroids. That's actually what she called telemedicine. <laughs> uh, so these are agents that have either improved efficacy or improved duration of activity per dose. So telemedicine, increased potency. You all have the same mechanism of action of, of vancomycin, deionine, deionine, cross-linking. The dosing differences. Telemedicine is daily dose. It is used for those heavy-duty cases. She likes to use it once a day, so she likes to use it in an infusion center. We don't have much of a use in the hospital setting. We used to give it a little bit. I'm not sure you guys use it at all. I don't use it at all anymore. Yeah. Salivancin. Once a week. Once a week, thank you. That sounds like you're in an adrenal patient. Oregonvancin can actually last over two weeks, potentially. Infusion lasts a long time. Why do we use it more often? We'll show you later. <laughs> So these may be appealing to outpatient treatment, but the logistics and costs are huge. So we need to know about them. Dr. Vasi, you guys know about, right? Monster cell membranes in a, in a calcium dependent uh, manner or let potassium in, depolarize, by by cell. One, that round, don't lose in the end. <laughs> bugs will win. The bugs will win eventually. All right. Activity gets staffed. Intercoxus, including VRE. So when you use coverage, you need a little bit higher dosing, as you guys know. Actually, no activity in the alveoli. Theoretically, in the parenchyma, it would have some activity. 
for example, septic pulmonary MLI, endocarditis, I don't worry. I can still use that device, in my opinion, because it's in the parenchyma. But if, uh, if I'm worried about, you know, Marston pneumonia, zero activity. The surfactant inactivates it. And obviously, if too big of a, of a, of a molecule, it doesn't get a CSF. So it just doesn't, it's not used for meningitis work. You might use Linaza there instead if you really need it. 2% of people have either increased CPK, which I've seen in my studies, or very rarely you said pneumonitis is described. I've not seen one of those. I've had a patient later on who had one of those, but I myself have not diagnosed that. So it's, that's rare. Well reported, though. Well reported. Say, say Let me answer that today's a little, right? These inhibit the formation of a mRNA, um, tRNA, ribosome complex, so protein synthesis. Again, it's our staph, strep drug, enterococcus, also semi-typicals. And I hate using it for there because the durations are long. We'll talk about durations of every what we worry about. Excellent oral viability. So. What's lovely about linazolid IV, the oral, nearly 100% bioavailability. So almost the same amount. Adverse effects, serotonin syndrome, especially if the MAO inhibitors, you get that serotonin type of syndrome. Talking about cytopene, which you can start seeing about week two. Optic neuropathy, which you, well, I worry about because that's maybe irreversible. Peripheral neuropathy. So people will use it for a long time, and I've seen. These two once. I don't want to see it again. Thermocytopenia is common. And it makes us alter our therapy. But generally, if you use it for two to three weeks, two weeks, you're okay. Start seeing these problems after that time period. Does Tadazolid have less bone marrow suppression than Linazolid? I don't think we know that. I don't. I think they all have it. Less? Maybe. They market it that way. I just don't know for sure. So it, maybe. I, I actually don't know the answer, though. The cost of these gram positive agents. Lincomycin. Actually, ladies, used to be expensive as all get out. It's amazing what happens when you get off cotton. Dapamycin used to be 10 times that much. Well, actually, 20 times that much per, per day. But it's gone down. Look at these agents. What do we, what do we get? Uh -huh. Twice a week agents. So that's a problem. It's, it sounds great until you try to figure out, oh, and actually I'm still at, at TGH. We have su such a problem with um, with bed status that we're considering doing this for a subset of patients that are here for the six weeks because of your IV drug use or uh, or homeless or whatnot, because a bed more potentially more a week than that. That's how tight it's been at TGH. So I may be able to do that sometime this year. But look at look at look at the cost. Not inconsequential. And you got to add the cost of this, of of monitoring vancomycin, which is a little bit more than twenty four dollars. That's actual wholesale cost for the drug. All right. That's changed in the last ten years drastically, especially daptomycin and linazolid. Yeah, maybe they Close and I'm not going to mention much more than I already mentioned. But these are the other ones I want to mention a little bit about. So these are agents that. Some of you guys know, some of you guys may not know. Some we don't have on formulary here. Some it depends on where you're at, it'll be on formulary or not be on formulary. Take a second. 
<laughs> uh, whenever I hear that word tachycycline, I, I want to have belly pain and go up. Um, because that's the major side effect that uh, that we have with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's FDA indication, skin and soft tissue, intra abdominal infections. And that's early on. We did use some intra abdominal infections. I didn't realize early on where uh, the intra abdominal process, the drug itself was causing a symptom. <laughs> drug. Uh, <laughs> it has pretty prospective activity, can positive, can negative, anaerobes. No pseudomonas, but. And some residual positive infection. This is where we use it now, microbacterial disease, because we're limited in what we can use there, and we warn them up. And we use slightly slower doses, occasionally get away with it, in microbacterial diseases, so we can mitigate some of the GI effects. So they're very common. I don't know what the percentage is, but to me, it's it's very common. I expect it. I'm actually surprised when they don't when they when they do well with it. These are other tetracyclines that I've never used. Actually, I've used one of these before. Eriragocycline, it's like tetracycline, more potent. It's a CYP3A producer. Indications intro down infections. I've never used that one. And amatocycline, it's uh, indication SSTI and CAP, but I've used it for something else. And has some similar JEI side effects. But these are other agents that are out there. Have you used these? They're not available at the VA. Not available. They're not available here. This is all. I had to get a non-formal request to get from other cycling. So these are other tetracyclines out there. You guys need to know that. Um, but in general, they provide very little difference in what we already have in the table, but they are around. What's this drug's brand name? Zerbaxa. Zerbaxa. And boy, when it was gone for about a year and a half, I struggled. <laughs> All right? All right, so what do you use Zerbaxa for? Genoans. Even though it's indications as UTIs, intra-abdominal infections, we don't use it for that. We use it for our pseudomonas and then and TGH. The worst pseudomonas cases are usually our, our CF patients. Those are chronic drive line infections. That's where I tend to see Zervasa uh, used. Activity in, in, includes pseudomonas with who is overexpressing MC or some other type of mutations that occur. And when it was in shortage, we were struggling because we were using. Agents are more typically used for CRE or other things to try to make make do. And that's winter. Oh, I can mm -hmm. so, so you would use it not for just regular pensipensitive pseudomonas? No. MDR pseudomonas? No. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is a combination. As you can see, it's tizobactam combined with another cephalosporin. That's a way, but it's, that's its only real area that I would use it in. Occasionally has activity against a little curry, but really it's pseudomonal, pseudomonal, pseudomonal. Is it resistant to, to pseudomonal pseudomonal Yes, we've seen that occur as well. And that's why you don't want to blow those things early on. So Tazi Avi Batam. All right. If you want to put this where? Where are you going to put this? Anywhere. No. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> Um, it, it depends if you're asking the AC or not. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, back in the synthetic beta lactamase inhibitor inhibits CSBL, MC, KPC, OX48, carotenamases. So the combination of very good pseudomonal agent plus this gives you a little bit of theory activity. Problem is, it doesn't inhibit the beta lactamases, such as MD1, MDM1, which we have one recently here. 
for example. So it's not indestructible. And when we had some of our student most problems, we wanted Zerb access, there's a resistance to that occasionally as well. Sometimes you get susceptibility, sometimes you get resistance. If you have an NBM1, here's where you can use a CNM again with this agent to work a little bit. All right. And I don't know how that mechanism works, but I do know that's what they would use. So if you end up with an NDM, well, you have two options. I'll talk about the second option later on. But this is one of those options. Uh, FHS plus SGNM. Uh, Dr. Montero, have you seen uh, pseudomonas resistant to both Abicas and Cervaxa? Yes. Oh, wow. They've gone to asking people about phage therapy. And that's not, and, and they don't have phage. It gets that isolate thing here. You don't have, we, we've got a, we got to places where we have nothing. That's why we try to do stewardship. <laughs> because we will eventually get to nothing. The bugs will eventually win. Right now we have somewhat the upper hand, but the bugs will eventually win. Unless we have new tools. That, that's a war going on. And man, man, we, were, we were losing for billions of years. We had nothing. Now we have something. We can strike back. Man. You know, right? I forget the brand name of this. Miracle and Vapor Vacuum. Vapor Vacuum. That's right. We don't have an all formula. Many um, people don't. It's used for what? CRE infections as well. Vapor Vacuum. Should have pseudomonas activity. Does your vacuum have any pseudomonas activity? No. So if you have pseudomonas and it says Vapor resistant, oh, I want to use Vapor Vacuum. Go ahead. It's like using Vapor it's a lot more expensive. All right. So, Vapor Vacuum is a cyclonic acid beta acid. Basically, actually gives you more KPC activity. So, the KPC CRE, that's the ones that really work. But it doesn't work against the Met. Ox A, Ox 48, A, and the Metal Beta Lactivist doesn't work either. I don't know this brand name either. It means Penumrelobactum. I forget it, but semi-pinolobacum, another beta-lactamase, carbapenem, and uh, lactamase inhibitor. It, it, it works against some KPCs as well, including some vectin-resistant KPCs, so still niche. We don't have a formula either. If we had, it got to a point where we need it, we use a non-formula request. We've never used this at TGH. But it does not inhibit beta-lactamase or OX48. Then in the end. It's a recarbrio. Recarbrio, that's it. Recarbrio. Yeah, recarbrio. Persil, like inhibiting the pseudo. Things don't add to the moral coverage. Well, I go back to my dosage, and tazobactam. Doesn't add. None of those really add to the moral coverage. Sephedrol. Pretty much the last big boy I want to talk about. Petroy, I do know this one. All right, <laughs> that's the brand name. Sephedrocol. So it's a Sephedrocol. I don't know sure what generation you put that in. <laughs> but it's iron and requires iron. Acrobates, interbacterialis, pseudomonas, acidobacter, synotrophomonas. Does it have, again, poor anaerobic, poor gram positive? Not zero, poor. All right, so think of it as your cetazidine cephalosporin, like, but it has a lot more activity. Ah, so, you can, so this is your other option for your New Delhi NDM. Mm. 
All right. But there's been some resistance already noted in some of those agents. And there was a trial called a credible trial, credible CR trial, something like that. But they looked at this agent against the best available agent, which usually was a combination of a hodgepodge of things because these are very resistive. And they didn't do so good. Uh, it was a little bit higher mortality. There's a little bit, there's a lot of controversy about the study. Took out FDA approved because it's it's something we have in our pocket for these very resistant organisms. And we have used this at DGJ to come. We need it. But it's an agent that obviously really is right now, I would say it's the last line agent for the MDM population. But it's sort of that was confusing because there's a lot of different damn negatives there. I want to summarize. If you had a multi-drug resistance to motors, I would think if you if you lost marum, if you lost zoocin, uh, you lost cyclopine, that's what I define as MDR. You lost quinolones. Start looking at Zervaxa. All right. Then if that's gone or on shores like we were having for a year and a half, start looking at either citricol or maybe Abicat, depending on it, its susceptibility. If you have a KPC type of CRA, and in most places, they will type them up. Not sure in the smaller hospitals, but they do. Matt, do you guys type your CREs? Yeah. yeah I think Moffitt probably does as well, right? but the smaller hospital won't. You start thinking the advocate first, and that's usually the one I'm formulating. These are the other two alternatives, and it's KPC2 or whatnot. If you have an OXA48, you can use Abicaz. You can try to throw a call if you don't have Abicaz. If you have a metal beta lactamase like MDM, you stick with either one of these two right now. Guys, this is in your ID boards. I just sent it to you. What is this? This slide is in the and isn't um okay. already. Okay. So that's what you have right now. Now, at PGH, if you were to order one of these, my antibiotic police people, they would say, no. Oh. So actually, Many of these are can't even order. Many of these are ASP only. Why? Because it's this is complex. Hmm. They're the ones that usually call micro. They can you check for this, 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 and this. They do that upfront. I'm not sure what's done elsewhere, but that's that's why it's ASP only right now. I've had people I had Dr. Mayor say, why can't I do prescribe this? Well, listen, I have problems remembering this. Hmm. It's complex. So I think we had, you know, make sure we use these agents correctly because if you make a mistake, you might build a whole lot. They've already, these people, you've already gone through a, a lot to get to this point. But this is what I'm concerned about. As they did with the gram positives, the gram negatives. Now, I don't like humanitarian, not because it's costly, but because you get down the scale pretty quickly if you, if you burn that one. Okay, it goes much more expensive. Where, and this is, you know, cost of these per day, 15,000. And like I said, it's amazing. Their vaccine was cheap compared to, it cost three times more, three to with less inferior agents for our pseudomonas until it came back. That's why I was like, ah, I had the, had the pandemic going and I had the, their vaccine shortage going. I'm like, this is crazy. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> but you can see where, where the cost issues in. I put cost in there, not because of it. You guys need to realize this. I don't think anybody else realizes this. And I, 
And when I gave the lecture last week, Kotov is the end. It is the, really the end. But you have to realize that where is this cost coming from? Who, who eats this cost? If I give a Zyraxia in the hospital, I give everything to the hospital. It's the hospital. So the patient gets a DRG. You, you get, so they, they got insurance. They get paid. They, they, the hospital gets paid some money. Now you do whatever you, however you can to treat that issue. And you use as many, you know, you, you need 10 CT scans or no CT scans. You need this drug or this drug. Doesn't matter to them. They're insured. So that's why it's important. And, you know, you got to be a little fiscal responsible as well. So it's all about what's the best therapy? What's the best therapy? Being fiscally responsible. That's Summary, resistance increasing. I'm not sure what's in the horizon. And every time I say this, it's smaller and smaller, and we're just recycling drugs. The bugs are striking back. It really is scary. Uh, so you, the way we control this is use it as wisely as we can. Use the pharmacy people. All three hospitals are excellent ID pharmacists. All three are used for resources. You ask the second years, they have their numbers on speed dials. When I each of these facilities. 